We give thanks to God this morning for the reading of his word because his word is good. This is a text that if you have spent any time in church, you're probably familiar with. It's it's a rather lengthy text, but it's a text that we've absolutely got to hear in our study of God's word, specifically in our study of Exodus, because it's a story, church, that becomes paradigmatic for our story of salvation in Jesus. Now, by that, I don't mean that it's a story that has been repeated or that will be repeated again. It's exceptional and it's unique in that way. But the pattern and the picture of salvation that's in this story in Exodus 13 and 14 reveals God's faithfulness to his promises, reveals God's faithfulness to his plans for his people that ultimately come to fruition in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, I'll be honest, I hope you never hear me apologize for reading God's word. We gather, those of you that are part of this church family, I think you've come to expect this. When we come together, we're going to listen to God's word. We want to hear from him. We're going to read his word because his word is good, because he guides us in it. And we need to hear from the Lord. This is his revelation, the self-disclosure of God. The disclosure of his nature and his purposes. And so we read it because through his word, God leads us. Church, by his clear revelation, God leads his people. By his clear revelation, God leads his people. He doesn't leave us in the dark. This is what he's doing for his people who are leaving Egypt. He speaks to them through his servant Moses. And he leads them in a pillar of cloud by day. And a pillar of fire by night, verse 22. You see, the cloud and the fire, we sang that text this morning, did we not? The cloud and the fire were visible revelations from God, supernatural provisions representing God's guiding presence. By his clear revelation, God leads his people. Verse 17, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. That was the preferred way to go, perhaps. We'd get there a bit faster. The, the word for lead here, verb for lead, is the same as the verb in the familiar text, Psalm 23, verse 3, where it says, God leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, there were shorter ways to get to the promised land, but God knew that his people were not yet ready for what they'd face along that journey. They may have left Egypt in Battle formation, verse 18 of chapter 13, but what they needed was some character formation. God was teaching his people to trust him, no matter what they faced. I wonder this morning, friends, brothers and sisters, church members and guests, have you learned to trust him? Have you learned to trust the Lord no matter what you face in this life, through the joys and the sorrows through sickness and through celebrations, through surgeries and chemotherapy, through depression and anxiety. If you have not learned to trust the Lord always, perhaps this is something that he is working to teach you, to teach me. You see, he knows. He knows you. He knows us. He knows our temptations and our tendencies. He knows your Myers-Briggs profile and your Facebook status. Friend, he knows your sleep cycle and your secret sins. He knows you. 
And he knew Israel. You see, this God knew that sometime later in this story, when his people finally reached Canaan, the promised land, the destination, the land that he had promised to give their ancestors, when, he, when they would reach that land and saw just how big their enemies were in that land, he knew that they would say to each other, recorded in Numbers chapter 14, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I don't like what I see, they said. Enough of Moses and Aaron. We cannot defeat these guys. Let's find a new leader that will take us back to Egypt, where at least we knew our basic provisions were given to us. You see, the Lord knew what he was up to. The Lord knew then, and he knows today. Notice who appears in this story. Notice that Joseph, verse 19, the great-grandson of Abraham and a central character in much of the book of Genesis resurfaces in this story some 350 years or or more after his death. Joseph was a man who lived a difficult life. If you remember that story, a difficult life. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was unjustly put in prison. A, A man who lived a difficult life for much of his life, but a man who trusted the Lord, even so, to fulfill his promises. A man who believed that God would lead his people into the promised land. A man who said to his brothers, who got rid of him, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he said, you intended to harm me, perhaps more than harm. You you intended to get rid of me entirely. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, if you remember that story, God worked in an, an extraordinary way, a miraculous way, a way that can only be attributed to God to restore Joseph to a position Uh, of power and ultimately to save his brothers and his family and the nation of Israel would become to be the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 of course is the Genesis 50 20 of the New Testament where Paul writes he says and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Friends God is at work conforming his people to Jesus. Ultimately, that's the purpose that Paul has in mind in Romans 8, 28. He lets us know that in the very next verse, Romans 8, 29. He he was at work in Paul's day. He was at work in Joseph's day. He was at work in Moses' day. And friend, he is at work in your day. He knows what he is doing. So follow his leading. Follow his leading. Follow him. Follow him wherever he leads you. Without fully understanding the way that he was going, Moses... Set out to follow the Lord. Likewise, in the words of one author, we may not know the way we are going, but we know our guide. may not know the way we're going. We may not know just what lies ahead, but we know our guide. Do you know the guide? Follow his leading. See, the truth is we don't have a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It'd be neat to see such... A thing, and there's no way to read this text without uh, regarding that as uh, the clear intervention and provision of God in a supernatural way. All that's to say, people have, who struggle to to recognize uh, miracles or to believe miracles, maybe that's a better way of saying that, are going to struggle with this story. Friends, we we serve a mighty God, the Lord God Almighty, who is the Maker of heaven and earth, the one who sovereignly cast the stars into space, the one who fashioned you together in your mother's womb. He is a God of of miracles. 
We don't have a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night showing us where to go. But we have the spirit of the living God living in us, God's word says. Convicting us, comforting us, guiding us, encouraging us, and equipping us. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 22, and in him, in Jesus, you too, church, are being built to become a holy, uh, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Spirit of God lives in those who who turn to Jesus for salvation, and so we trust him. So we follow him. We trust him not to give us some secret, unclear guidance, but to instruct us according to his word. A message of comfort, a message of guidance, a message of hope for the church, a message that we as believers can see together, clear revelation from God, reminding us that we too are not in our final resting place. Reminding us that this is not our homeland, that we're traveling toward another land. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, for here we do not have an enduring city. This is not a lasting city. This is a city that ultimately will be destroyed. For we are looking for the city that is to come. We're looking for another dwelling place. We're looking for another home, an eternal home, a city where sin will no longer stand in the way. A place where God's presence and provision will be known and felt by all who are his people. A place where there will be no wickedness, no sin, for God will defeat the wicked. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Exodus teaches. God will defeat the wicked. Notice that the opening verses of Exodus 14 are a window uh, into the battle plan of God. God's battle plan. You see, although the Israelites will appear to be trapped against the Red Sea, if you didn't catch that, that's what's happening here. God says, I'm not going to lead you this way, it's short, I'm going to lead you this way. And they began to journey toward the Red Sea and Pharaoh sends his army after them and ultimately they become trapped against the sea. But even so, God is luring Pharaoh and his army into the trap of the sea. And here God announces his plans to defeat the wicked. See, as he often does, as the Lord often does, God is sovereignly forcing a situation that can only be overcome by himself. He's forcing a a situation, a circumstance that can only be overcome by the power and provision of God alone. God does this all over the Bible. This is the way that God often operates so that the glory is clearly his. Think of Abraham and Sarah and their barrenness, and their old age, without an offspring, and yet God has promised them an offspring. Think of Gideon's tiny army of 300 facing the numerous, the many thousands of Midianites. Think of the little shepherd boy, David, who stands before Goliath without armor, the giant, Philistine. This is is the way that God works. God works in strange ways unusual ways, miraculous ways, but he does so to reveal his power so that all will know that he is the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Do you know his power and his might, his goodness and his guidance, his mercy and his grace, the one who defeats the wicked and who delivers the righteous, the one who delivers those that are his people? This is what God does. God will defeat the wicked and God will deliver his people. He's a God who delivers his people, a God who spares his people, who saves his people. Let the tension in this text and this story seep in for just a moment. 
truth is that most of us are so familiar with the story, we sort of skip right over it. But Pharaoh, mighty ruler of the most powerful nation on earth, changes his mind. He's had a change of heart. Remember, again and again, plagues have been poured out on the king of Egypt and on the Egyptians, encouraging the king of that land, the pagan king of that land, to submit and to allow the Israelites to go and to worship the Lord, inviting the Egyptians and their king and all who gather there to, to recognize Yahweh's lordship and to serve him and serve him alone. And Pharaoh buckles down again and again and again. Ten plagues. He hardens his heart, will not let them go. And finally, upon completion of the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh loses his own son. Like the truth is, the Bible says there was wailing, there was weeping throughout Egypt on that night. And Pharaoh gives in. He says, enough is enough. Find Moses. Take these people and get out of here. Take whatever you need and go. Leave. But here, sometime later, he has a change of heart. He realizes the slaves are gone. He tells his servants, he tells his officials, run after them. In verse 7 of chapter 14, he took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Says the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the, the Israelites who were marching out boldly. So here's the king of the most powerful nation in the world at the time, taking his best chariots, all of his chariots, his officers, his trained military men, and he says, run after them, go get them. And all the while in the story, the text says that the Israelites were marching out boldly. Literal translation, they were marching out with a high hand. The point is that the Israelites were were going out confidently, perhaps even a bit arrogantly. That's how this phrase is used elsewhere. Two resolute forces here, a, a mass of Israelite slaves marching toward the promised land and perhaps the most equipped military on earth at the time coming toward each other. Closing in on the Israelites. This cannot end well. Inevitable conflict. And from a human standpoint, inevitable defeat for Israel. Verse 10. So they were terrified. And cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? You've got to hear the sarcasm in this question. There were graves all over the land of Egypt. Moses, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. We're doing okay. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now we as readers we and listeners, we, we know the rest of the story. We've already read it, even today. And so we want to say, hush. We want to say, be quiet, trust the Lord, wait on his promises. Moses has already heard the Lord's plan and he is trusting him. He says in verse 13, do not be afraid. He says, people stand firm and you're going to see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Still. Moses essentially says, do not fear them. Do not fear the wicked. Don't fear these folks. 
He says, you have seen God's mighty hand of deliverance and you are going to see it again. He essentially says, remember his power and his promises. Remember the plagues that he brought on Egypt? Remember the Passover lambs that were slain and the Lord passed over, did not bring judgment upon your houses? The Lord is not finished with you. Do not fear Pharaoh and his army of chariots for the I am is with you and he will deliver you. Sometime later, the, the psalmist, one of the psalmists would, would write a text, a prayer, a song about this occasion. Psalm 106, he, he would cite this story as an occasion that called for corporate confession. The sinful people would say in Psalm 106, verse 6, we have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. That's the story. And yet God saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. Commenting on this psalm, Old Testament scholar Alan Ross says this uh, about this army of Israelites. He says they witnessed all the plagues and the miracles that God did in Egypt But they gave them no thought. They did not remember as many acts of love and so they rebelled by the sea. In spite of all the wonders they had seen when faced with a crisis at the sea, they were afraid and demonstrated a lack of faith. Friend, no matter what you face, no matter how fierce the enemy looks, no matter how discouraging the diagnosis, no matter how deep The depression, no matter how prosperous the greedy or how threatening the abuser or how oppressive the system or how insulting the devil, do not fear them. Not ultimately. Do not fear the wicked. Do not fear those who oppose the Lord for their time of defeat will soon come. But instead, based upon the word of the Lord, trust the Lord. Trust Him. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the one who is always present and who is always faithful. Moses says, Exodus 14, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Moses is saying, yes, Pharaoh's army looks fierce. Yes, they are far more impressive and trained than we are. And yes, they have us pinned against the waters of the sea. But stand your ground. Hold the line. Hold your position. Don't run. Watch and see what the Lord is going to do. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know we are right where he has led us. He's the God of wonders. And so how could we expect anything less than something wondrous here for us? So trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. You see, their own understanding told them to scream in terror. To follow the pattern of sin and the fall and to blame someone else. Perhaps you remember that story, the story of the fall after creation. Adam and Eve take of the forbidden fruit and the Lord approaches Adam and he says, Adam, what? What have you done? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to treat, not to eat? And what does he say? He says, 
God, that woman you put here with me, right? Blames Eve. What does Eve do? The Lord approaches Eve. She says, the serpent here deceived me. Always pointing the blame at someone else. This is part of our our sinful nature. And here they, they point the blame at Moses. Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us here? Submit to God and he will make your path straight. There is no path. It is death by drowning, death by battle, or perhaps... If we're lucky, submission to slavery once again and a return to Egypt. And then a voice from above. Moses, raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And so it happened. Like a dense fog on the mountain. Some mornings that makes it difficult to see what lies ahead. A large and impressive offensive line that makes it difficult for the defenders to see what play is unfolding on the football field. The angel of God and the pillar of cloud, the text says, separated the Israelites from the Egyptians for the night. So that the Egyptians that were pursuing after them could not see what was unfolding at the sea. The Lord brought a strong east wind and divided the waters of the sea. A dry path was formed with a wall of water on the right and on the left. Verse 22. And a great multitude of former slaves crossed over the Red Sea. Now, we can only imagine what they must have been thinking as they made that trek. Perhaps there were some who went boldly. But I bet there were others who trembled in fear as they stepped ahead. But either way, with faith in the Lord, they followed Him and they were saved. You see, they were learning to trust Him. They were struggling to trust him. But when the waters were parted and victory was granted, verse 31, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' servant. The story says the Egyptians pressed on after them. They pursued them. They chased behind them through the path into the sea, verse 23. But the Lord jammed the wheels of their chariots, verse 25, and sent the water of the sea back to its place, verse 27, drowning Pharaoh's army in judgment as he saved Israel from the hands of their enemies, verse 30. Friend, you cannot read this story. Don't you dare read this story without seeing God's mighty hand all over it. Once again, God does the miraculous. Once again, God accomplishes what defies human reasoning and logic. And once again, God does what only God can do. He brings victory to his people. Friend, victory comes by the sovereign power of the Lord. True victory comes by the sovereign power of the Lord. The Lord guides by the pillar of cloud and by the pillar of fire. The Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he pursues the Israelites, the Lord separates the waters of the sea so his people can escape on dry ground. And the Lord defeats the wicked and delivers his people, not because of any goodness in them, but because of his mercy. By grace, through faith, 
God gives his people victory. In church, he has given us victory too. This is not just a story about God's victory at the Red Sea in Egypt some 3,500 or so years ago. No, this is the story of God saving his people, of calling his people, of granting victory to his people, ultimately through the offspring, the greatest offspring of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Jesus Christ, God's son, our savior. This is why Paul would write, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, he gives victory. God is a God who provides victory by his sovereign power. He gives victory over sin and victory over death for all who turn to him in faith. He invites us to turn to him in faith. Jesus is Lord. And he grants eternal life to all who trust him as Lord. And friends, there are not different levels of victory. There's not a gold medal for the best and a silver for the next and a bronze for the third. No honorable mention or first alternate. Only justification through Jesus or condemnation by Jesus. You see, as it was at the sea that day, there were only two camps. Those who cross over by his grace through faith and those who are swallowed up in his judgment. Friend, which camp are you in? To which party do you belong? Are you in the Lord's camp? Paul reflected on this story. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul said that these Israelites were baptized that day. He says that they were baptized into Moses. He says, for I don't want you to be ignorant. He's writing to the church. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that uh, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. It says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What in the world is Paul saying? Well, Paul is saying that as the Israelites followed Moses through the waters of the sea, they were identified with him. They were regarded as his people, as the Lord's people, as they followed his messenger Moses. They, they passed through the waters of judgment onto the other side. And likewise, Christians... Followers of Jesus, we too in Jesus will pass through the waters of death to the other side safely because of his mighty resurrection for us. And so Paul would say to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, he'd say, don't you know, Christians, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We identified with him through death, a visible picture of what he has done for us. We've said the old life is gone. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Friends, baptism matters. It is not an act that saves us. Christ saves us by grace through faith, but it is an act of obedience, of identifying with him, saying that I am one of his. I am a follower of Jesus. Proclaiming new life in him. Do you have new life in Jesus? Have you received forgiveness of sins? Have you been born again? Have you received it? Do you have it? Do you believe it? Friend, put your faith in Christ. And cross from death to life. Put your faith in in Jesus. God's Son, our Savior, 
the great high priest, the perfect prophet, the pure and spotless lamb who gave his life for the sins of the world, cross over today by God's grace, received through faith in his son, our savior. The very savior who said in John chapter five, verse 24, very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Friend, have you crossed over from death to life? You can do so today. There's no reason to delay. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The Bible promises that all who confess Jesus as Lord, all who bow before Him will be saved. Put your faith in Him. Cross over from death to life. Acknowledge before God that you have gone your own way, that that like the Israelites, that you have rebelled against Him. We all have. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your rebellion before God and Say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I know that you have shown grace in your perfect plan and sent your son to be my savior. To give his life on the cross in my place, to take the death that I deserve and to be raised back to life by the power of God. A promise that, that those who trust in him will also be raised to life at the final day and enjoy perfect provision and a perfect relationship of restoration with God forever and ever. Put your faith in Him today. Do not delay. Trust in Him. And cross from death to life. Father, we give You thanks this morning for Your grace. The story of Your Gospel. Lord, the story of Your Word that is Gospel to those who receive it. To those who believe it. To those who trust You. Father, I pray this morning that we will respond in a way to to your saving power that brings glory to your name, that gives you all the glory, that gives you all the praise, that lays our lives, our, our feet, our hands, our minds, our hearts before you, surrendering to you, finding joy and delight and satisfaction and knowing that we are yours. Lord, guide us to that end. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, faith to believe. We trust you. May we worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.